Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. The Texas Sports Hall of Fame recently held its first ever Lone Star Luncheon on November 2nd, 2022. The featured guest was golf legend Lee Trevino, who kept the audience entertained with his wonderful and often humorous stories about his life and career. The date for the Texas Sports Hall of Fame's next Lone Star Luncheon will be announced soon. Please check the Hall of Fame's official website, tshof.org, for information. That's tshof.org. While you're visiting the website, sign up for the Texas Sports Hall of Fame's newsletter so you'll be one of the first to know about future Lone Star Luncheons induction banquets, and other important announcements from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You can also follow the Texas Sports Hall of Fame on its social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Lee Trevino won six major PGA tournaments. He was named PGA Player of the Year in 1971. He was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in 1974. At the Lone Star Luncheon, he spoke about his humble beginnings in Texas and the start of his golf career. Uh, The game that I played and the way that I played it, it wasn't supposed to happen from where I came from, which was a little cotton farm outside of Dallas in Raleigh, Texas. There's a 100-acre farm. My grandfather and my mother raised me there. Never knew my dad. And I, uh, we moved to Dallas when I was about eight, seven or eight years old. And I did caddy a little bit. Never played the game. I actually never started playing the game until I was almost 22 years old. I dabbled with it a little bit here and a little bit there, but I never got serious about it. I couldn't afford it. And actually, I couldn't get on any golf course. And I, I actually, what happened to me is, I got in a little bit of trouble when I was 16 years old. And back then, Dallas's finest, the Blue Boys, would take care of me. But I got in a little bit of trouble, and the gentleman asked me how old I was, and I told him that I was 16, going on 17. He said, when are you gonna be 17? I said, in about two weeks. He said, I need to meet somebody. So he takes me, and he takes me to the Marine Corps recruiter. Hey, <laughs> and I ended up going into the Marine Corps in 1956. That's a long time ago. And I got out in 1960, right at 61. I was a machine gunner in the Pacific for four years. I was one of the luckiest guys in the world because I was going to reconnaissance. And when I got off the ship in Okinawa, they Gave me my orders, put me in a truck, dropped me off at Camp Courtney, which was the 3rd Marine Division headquarters. When I got there, all my buddies, none of them were there. They all went to recon to train. I ended up there. This was on my third year of the Marine Corps. I went to the office, saw the captain, 
I said, listen, you guys made a mistake on my orders. I'm supposed to be going to recon with all my friends. He said, oh my God. He said, man, this is a lot of work. He said, I got to redo all these papers and everything. And he says to me, he says, do you play a sport? And I said, well, I know a little something about golf. So he picks up the phone and he calls Lieutenant Irwin. He was the amateur champion in California. And he says, I got a kid over here who says he plays golf. He says, do you need him? He said, yeah, I need a number five man. I ended up on that team for two years. That's all I did. Marine Corps, the last two years, was play golf. I got pretty good at it. But I did not pursue it when I got out. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to work at the Colombian Club, which Finn and, and Max know all about it, Jewish club there in Dallas. They had a nine-hole golf course. At that time in 1961, they were building a new nine holes around the lake, around the, out of the inner nine. And I got a job there making a dollar an hour, welded the irrigation pipe. I welded the 44-foot, four-inch galvanized pipe, put the risers in. In the winter, we had to have a dozer to pull the truck. It was cold. And I was, uh, uh, I worked there for a year. In the afternoons when we finished, we'd get through about three o'clock, we'd go out and hit a few balls and on the other nine and we'd play, gamble a little bit, and I got better and better and better at it. And all of a sudden, what happens is someone noticed me. A gentleman by the name of Hardy Greenwood, which owns a driving range and a part three course on Lover Glen and Greenwood, noticed me hitting balls at his range. And he came out one day, I was mowing the first fairway on a Friday at six o'clock. And the reason I was doing that is because the maintenance crew had not mowed that fairway and I didn't want our members to come Saturday morning and that fairway hadn't been mowed. So I came out and I hooked up the five games and I was mowing that fairway when Mr. Greenwood came across the fairway and says, how are you doing? He introduced himself, I own this driving range of parts because I want you to go to work for me. I think you have a lot of potential. And he says, I want you to, to run the driving range and then alternate the next night you run the par three course. That was the smartest thing I've ever did. I, I quit my job and went over and went to work for him. I worked there in practice for four years. Four years I hit ball and I practiced. I entered my first tournament ever, amateur or pro. <laughs> I'd never played in a tournament before. And I entered my first tournament, which was the Texas State Open in 1965 at Sharks Town. I will never forget it. My caddy and I drove there in a 55 Chevy with a bad radiator. <laughs> and, and, and the traffic was murder. And I said, man, that traffic is unbelievable. And they said, was it bad? I said, was it bad? I said, I had a flat tire, got out, changed it, and got back in the car, and I only lost two spots. I said, in this traffic. I said, that's how bad it is. Well, we played Sharks Town. And guess what? 1965, you can look it up. I won. I won the golf tournament in a playoff over a kid by the name of Frank Wharton. And uh, uh, he was an assistant pro, I think, at uh, Preston Hollow Country Club, if I'm not mistaken. And I won the tournament. <clears throat> we won $1,000. My caddy and I get in the car, we get a half a pound of bologna, half a loaf of bread, when you could buy half a loaf of bread. 
two RCs and we're laughing like hell coming down 45 back to Dallas with a thousand dollar win and what we were going to do with it. First tournament, win it. Came back the next year and I won it again. Now, when I won that tournament, the second time, I beat Marty Fleckman, which went to the University of Houston. Houston had Homero. They, they, they had, he had Homero. He had uh, Marty Fleckman. Uh, I can't remember all of them. Toscano was playing there. Coach Williams was the coach. And I won the tournament again, back to back. And I remember Coach Williams coming over to me and saying, who are you? <laughs> and I said, I beg your pardon? He said, who are you? I said, I'm nobody. I said, I'm just a, a guy from Dallas. He said, where'd you come from? He says, well, where'd you learn how to play? And I said, I, I just learned on the driving range in the part three course, and I was a range rat. Range rats are club, they, 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 they're, they're shot makers. Now, the reason the range rat is a shot maker is because when you go out, and, and, and you walk on a range and you walk around the perimeter of the range there's golf balls everywhere they're behind trees they're in ravines they're everywhere and you're trying to hit all the balls to one spot in the middle of the range so what do you do? You, 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 you're always trying shots you're going with a little cut you're going with a little draw you're going low you're going high over with the same club you don't have 14 clubs with you when you're a range rat you have one so it's either a three iron or semi learn with a three iron on the beach. So you have one club. It's a seven today, five tomorrow. And line, loft, you know, what size of grip, length of club, stiffness of shaft. What the hell? We don't know anything about that. That's <laughs> a different story. But we were ring rats. And that's how we learned how to hit all these different shots. We could repeat it. As my son said this morning, he said, there's only three important clubs in your bag. And that's your driver, your wedge, and your putter. Everything else you can roll. It doesn't make any difference. You can roll the ball 200 yards, but miss a one-foot putt. Ah, that's what a killer. A killer is missing a one-foot putt. Lee Trevino and Jack Nicholas faced each other numerous times on the PGA, and several major tournaments were very close finishes between the two. Trevino shared a few stories about Nicholas at the Lone Star Luncheon. This is one of the things that I think that when Jack and I played a lot of golf, a lot of, against each other, that's the one thing that bothered him more than anything with me when he and I were running neck and neck is he knew that I wasn't going to make a mistake. Jack always waited on me. You know, he, he could almost tell you what the score was going to be at the U.S. Open, the PGA, the British Open, uh, or, or the Masters. And if Jack came out with a 71, someone shot 64, Jack would say, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll come. And sure, he's right. Hardest thing in the world is to shoot two low rounds in a row. Low round, mm, now you don't want to lose those. You come out here and tee off, you don't want to lose them. And, 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 and this is what happened. But this is exactly what we did. I was a hell of a wedge player. That was Jack's worst club. Jack could drive it four miles. He hit irons higher than anyone. 
like tiger. It didn't make any difference if the greens were soft or hard or whatever. His ball was only going to travel so far because it was coming down this way. I was a low ball hitter. Always had been. Grew up in Dallas. Always blows. I don't have to tell you how the way to blows in Texas. And you learn to play. In other words, the ball low. And, and, and Jack came high. I remember in the playoff, Marion. Remember that one? I shot 68, he shot 71. I would have never beaten him there. The greens were as hard as this stage. And when we finished the fourth hole, a rainstorm came in. It rained for an hour. He knew it. I knew it. And I knew that he knew it. <laughs> that now my low ball was going to stop when we went back out there. And on the next hole, you can look it up. I hit a five iron about three feet low. And it stopped right next to the hole. And, and I ended up beating But I asked him one day, I said, you know, Jack, I said, you can hit a one iron better than anybody I've ever seen. He hit a driver with a cut. Believe it or not, he cut the ball because he had a tremendously fast left shoulder. And he goes out. And I said, why are you so bad with a wedge? <laughs> and he said, I never had to hit one. <laughs> I said, yeah. Trevino also shared a fantastic story about his days working at a golf course right before his career was to take off. Well, after winning those tournaments, I qualified for the U.S. Open in 1966. I finished 54th. I came back, finished 5th in 67. I came back in 68 and won the Open. And it gave me a lifetime exemption on the PGA Tour. What a ticket. What a great ticket. At that time, I was living in El Paso. And I wasn't doing much. And uh, I had some guys come from Dallas. I don't know if you've heard this story before. And guy, little bookmaker friend of mine, two or three of them actually, Titanic Thompson, one of the greatest gamblers ever. And they came to El Paso and I had a backer there. Martin Lednich owned all the, owned all the cotton farms in the valley there, in Yosleta. Favorite. And he says, uh, do you think if we brought a player in here, he says that you would, that you could, uh, uh, that they would bet on you? I said, I don't know, Martin Lettinger is right over there. I said, you can go talk to him. So he goes over and he says to Martin Lettinger, he says, uh, you don't want to bring a player in here, pretty good player. He says, you mind, uh, Martin didn't know anything. He didn't know any pros. He didn't know anybody. So the next thing he does is he comes in the pro shop. I was running the pro shop at the time. I'd open it at five in the morning. And he says to me, he says, yeah, he says, we got a guy coming in next week. He says, we want to play you three days, three matches. And I said, really? I said, who is it? He said, Raymond Floyd. I said, who? I said, Raymond Floyd's a two-year pro. He said, I said, he just won the tournament in North Carolina. They did open or something. He said, that's who they want to bring. He said, let him bring him, Chico. He said, Chico. He said, let him bring him. This guy, this guy was Yugoslavian, but, but he could speak Spanish a hell out better than I could. He said, no, Chico. He said, this is it. So I'm sitting in the shop one day. I got it at 5 o'clock. Take the carts out. Making sure everything's cleaned up in the bar. I'm in the locker room, and I hear somebody drive in the driveway. Now, our parking lot was caliche. You could hear every car come in, come in the parking lot. 
And I looked out the window and I see this Cadillac. Nobody in a Cadillac ever came to, to Horizon Hill. I mean, no, no, no. We had cowboys. We had guys with cowboy hats, boots. That's what we had. We even had cleats on the boots. I mean, they, that's just what they, that they did. So the guy gets out, and I see this guy get out, and he's adjusting his, his belt. Got a gorgeous pair of slacks on. You could tell they're expensive. And he's got this shirt, and he's, he's looking good. He's looking good. So I jump in the cart, and I drive out to the parking lot, and he's got this Wilson coverall bag. He must have weighed 200 pounds. And I picked it up, I put it on the back of the cart, and I drive it into the locker room. I unzipped it, and golf balls fell out, golf shoes fell out on the top, the whole thing. And, and so I take them out, and I take the cover off. He sits in the chair right about there. And Ace Darnell says, Max probably knew him. Ace Darnell says, 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 listen, he says, I'm going to go get a cart. He said, we want to go look at the golf course, because we're going to play at noon. He said, okay. So Raymond sat in this chair, and he says to me, he said, listen, he says, can I get a Coke? Yeah. So I go over the bar, I get him a Coke. He said, is there anyone here that would like to play gin? And I said, I don't know, nobody that plays gin here, not now. I said, no one here yet. He said, oh, okay. He said, by the way, he says, uh, who, who am I playing today? And I said, you're playing me, Mr. Floyd. He said, I'm playing you. He said, what do you do here? I said, I do everything. I said, I open at five, I bring the carts out. I make sure the locker room's clean, clean some shoes. I do whatever you have to do. This is what, this is what we do. You know, this is a golf course. And he says, oh, okay. So Ace comes back and says to him, he says, listen. He said, I've got a cart, let's go look at the golf course. And Raymond says, I'm not looking at no golf course. He said, I'm playing the locker room attendant. He said, I'm not looking at no golf course. So we teed it up. I put 64 on it. He put 66. Easy little course. So when we finish, he's not very happy about this. And the investors are not out. So he said, let's go play in the emergency night. That's the old deal. Emergency night when you get beat. I said, Mr. Floyd, I said, I'd like to. I said, but I can't. I said, I got to put the carts up. <laughs> and he said, oh. he said, now, he says, now, he said, I'm playing the cart man too. <laughs> so we teed it up the next day and I put 65 on it. He had 66. He loses again. He said, there's no reason to ask you to play nine more. You've got to put the carts up, right? I said, yeah. <laughs> so we come out the third day, and we both hit 18 and 2, par 5. He's 20 feet. I'm about 17. He holds it for eagle 3, and I lift mine out. And there's too many ladies in the room. I can't tell you exactly what he said, but he says, adios, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and when he went out there, he told the guys on the tour, he said, I'm going to tell y'all something. He said, I just played and met a little Mexican boy from Dallas. And he said, y'all going to have to make some room for him when he gets out here. He said, you're going to have to make some room. And I finished fifth in that, in that open at Ballastraw. And we went to Aurora in Cleveland. And I was hitting practice balls. 
Nicholas walks by. Bob Goldby's in the back of me. Goldby and them are watching me hit. And Nicholas walks by, and Nicholas slows down, and Goldby says, uh, that's the kid that finished fifth last week. He said, yeah, really? He said, yeah. He said, who is it? He said, that's that kid Trevino from Dallas. I said, mm-hmm. And Goldby says, how you like that swing? And Nicholas says, it repeats. And that's what's important. It repeats. Goldby says, he'll linger. He won't last. When we return, we'll hear more terrific stories that Lee Trevino shared at the first ever Lone Star Luncheon hosted at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast. When you come to Waco, be sure to stay at the Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast, located just a short distance from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You'll start your day off with a delicious complimentary breakfast, and you'll also enjoy the Town Play Suites free Wi-Fi, fitness center, and pool. Next time you come to Waco, make the Town Play Suites Waco Northeast your home base on the road. Welcome back to Stories from the Lone Star Luncheon with Lee Trevino on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast. Lee Trevino had a great caddy for a long time in Herman Mitchell. Trevino entertained the audience with a few stories about his caddy. I was a shot maker. We don't have shot makers anymore because we don't need them anymore. We don't need shot makers anymore because they've let their equipment get too crazy. These guys are bigger. They're stronger. They go to the gym. They've got better instructions now. They know what muscles work with what. We didn't know that. The guy says, did you have a trainer? Yeah, it was called Coors. Uh -huh. I said, as soon as we went to the locker room, I know we never had a locker room. Cigarette, Coors, right in the locker room. Now, are you kidding me? They got a guy over there, they got a ball you do setups on and, 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 and drink orange juice over there, now in the locker room. Cigarette, if you, I, I remember I was at the open one time and I pulled out a cigarette and everybody left the locker in the locker room. It emptied the locker room. But that's what we did. That, that's what we did. But I was a shot maker. You couldn't club me. The caddies today have as much to do with the player as, as, as anybody. The players can't execute a shot unless they've had a long conversation with the cat. You understand? If that caddy really knew what the hell was going on, he would be playing. He'd be in the group behind him. You understand? Huh? I mean, wasn't that, the, that, wasn't that the story with Phil and his cat Bones? When Bones asked him, Phil won 45 tournaments. And, 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 and he asked Bones, and Bones says to him, he said, Phil, he says, he says, you know, he said, we won 45 tournaments together. He said, I know. He said, how many tournaments do you think you'd have won? He said, if you wouldn't have had me on the back. He said, 45. Uh, and, but Katie's, 
are great. They're great to have. They help you. They know I had a caddy, black man, Herman Mitchell, you remember it? Weighed 370. That's why I was loud and crazy, because nobody come near me. You know, I got 14 clubs in Herman. I got a lot of protection. In Herman, I remember finishing one time at Colonial. And I had the back standing there, and, and I, I shot 29, didn't I? I shot 29 on the back nine. I hold, I, I lift out a six iron on 18 for a 28. He was there. And Herman, I'm signing the scorecard, and Herman is standing there, and this gentleman's looking in the bag. And Herman goes, so he moves. So Herman goes, and so finally, so finally the gentleman says, Herman, he says, excuse me, he says, what club did Lee hit on 18? He said, mister. He said, I may be big. He said, but I ain't no information booth. He wouldn't give it to me. The best one of all was at the PJ in 1984. That was the best. We're, we're going to the first team, and he's got the gout. And he can't walk. Now, here's the man, he's 370. He's got a white jumper on. He looks like a good humor man. And he's walking like this when I got there. And I said, what the hell happened to you? He said, man, he said, this gout came down on me. And he says, I can't walk. I said, well, what, are you, what, are you kidding me? It's the last round of PJ 84. In fact, I wasn't even playing the tour. I was in the booth. You remember, I was in NBC with Vince Scully and, uh, and Joan. So I said, you can, let me get another cat. No, no. He said, you're going to win this tournament, and I've never won a major. You see, back in the old days, regular caddies couldn't caddy in the summer. They let school kids. Uh, college and high school kids caddy. We, they drew their names out of a, out of a hat, which was only fair to do in, in that town. So I said, no, I said, he said, Lee, I can, I can do it. I can do it. I said, how are you going to do it? He said, we'll do it the old way. I said, how's that? He said, listen, you, you're in the fairway. I'll meet you there. He said, I'll meet you in the fairway. You take the driver, go on to the TR, I'll go down to the fairway. He said, I'll be out there on the, on the ball. He says, when you get there. And I said, yeah. He says, you want to hit the second shot if you hit it on the green? He said, uh, uh, if you don't hit it on the green, don't worry about it. He said, if you miss the green, he said, I gave you the wedge and the putter. And he said, I'll meet you at the next fairway. He said, over here. He was, he was, he was taking shortcuts because he couldn't walk. So we did that the whole round. I made a 70-footer on the first hole. He didn't get to see it. And we get to 13. 14's a little dog leg right at Show Creek. And you had to climb couple of stairs there to get up, two, two levels of stairs. And I run up there, Lanny Watkins and I are playing together and Gary Player. I'm on the tee, I, I got a one-shot lead. And I get up on the tee, and the wind's blowing in a bad direction for me. Bad wind for me was the left to right, because I was a cutter. I didn't like to try to hold it, because I, I, I didn't know how to hook the ball that well. I do now, but I didn't know then. So I said, then I got the wrong club. And Lanny says to me, he says, what do you got? I said, I need a train boot. He said, well, go get it. I said, I can't go. I'm Herman's way the hell over there. <laughs> and he says, really? I said, yeah. I said, he's got gout. I said, he's 280 yards up there. And Lanny, I mean, Lanny was very nice about it. I mean, I, I thanked him about it because I, he says to me, he said, go get it. Don't worry about it. We'll wait. 
I said, I appreciate it. So I'm running down the stairs, and Herman's looking at me. We wait, way back over. And I'm saying, and he looks at me and he says, What? I said, Herman, what? I said, I need a three word. He said, What? I said, I need a three word. He said, Choke up on the gravel, baby. is like I was telling you a minute ago, is you own your swing and you're going to own that shot. And you can't blame it on anyone. All you're looking for, and I was looking for the caddy, to say, how far is it? He said, it's 147 to the cut. I said, okay. The pin, 17. I said, okay. How much are we releasing here? He said, 12 feet. You pull the trigger. That's all you do. We never had much as far as club is concerned. Kenny never clubbed you. Herman, if he didn't like the club I pulled, he wanted an explanation. <laughs> and he didn't ask for the explanation. He wouldn't move the bag. <laughs> Notice how Kenny will put the bag right next to you? You pull the club out and you go... And he's over here looking in the trees like this. <laughs> Great time. NFL tournament. Upper Montclair. Coming to the last hole. Got a two-shot lead over Floyd. Drove it. Outdrove Floyd by five yards. I got 240 to the hole. Little small lake on the right. Raymond didn't go for the green. He lays up. I pulled the three-wood out. <laughs> he said, what? What are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? He said, what are you thinking about? I said, why? I said, I'm going to rip this on the green. He said, no, you, 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 you're going to rip it in that water, make six, he's going to make four, and we're going to come back here and play this hole again. He said, no, you ain't. He said, take this five iron, lay it up. I took the five iron, laid it up, put it on the green, two putted, and one by one. He did it, And I won by one. Trevino was a member of six Ryder Cup teams. The captain of the team was often Arnold Palmer. Trevino kept the fun rolling by telling some Ryder Cup stories. The life has been fantastic, as you can see. Uh, I, I guess, you know, if you really talk about the Ryder Cup and what have you, I have one story with the Ryder Cup, and then I'll let you be. I enjoyed playing that more than anything. I used to play when it was 32 points instead of 28. 32 points being that you played two rounds on Sunday. But the mistake that they made by doing this with 32 points and playing every day that many rounds, which was five, was that you could actually win the Ryder Cup in three days. In, in other words, in, in, in four rounds. And they didn't figure that out. So we ended up, Arnold Palmer, Mr. Palmer was the captain. And we won it in four rounds. We had to go play the last round because ABC was televising. TV was just starting to come in with the Ryder Cup. And so what happens is we come in the locker room. I had played every match. I played first all the time. Palmer would say, go get me a point. Okay, I'm going. And I get him a point, I come home. I gotta come home. I remember playing Sam Torrance one time. 
in, in, in Britain, and I beat him seven and five. They hadn't even taken our breakfast dishes up yet. Well, when I got back, when we got back, we got back and our breakfast dishes were still on the, on the table. Sam Torrance and I beat him seven and five or something. But anyway, so I said, I th- Arnie comes in the locker room. He says, good going, boys. And he's rubbing his hands together, and he says, Trevino. He said, you're up first. I said, Arnie. I said, I've worked, I said, I've played four rounds. I said, I'm tired. I said, some of these guys set out this morning. Let one of them play. It doesn't make any difference anyway. I said, we've already won 16 and a half points. I know, I know. He says, but the governor's waiting on you on the first tee. The governor's out there? I said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. How much time do I have? He said, 40 minutes. I said, tell, tell the locker man to bring me a six pack. Put it right on this bench right here. So he brings me six beers. I chuckle up four of them. I got this buzz on. I go out that back door and they're, they're all laughing at me. Go get them, baby. I said, okay, have it on. I go over there. The governor sticks his hand out and I missed it. I went right by I beat it. I still remember the guy that beat me four and three. Uh, because at 10, Arnie brought me two beers on. Near the end of the program, audience members had a chance for some Q&A with a golf champion. Yes, sir. Who was the best golf striker you ever saw? There's no, there's no argument about it. Uh, there's uh, the best ball striker, in my opinion. I never got to see. I did see him on film. He must have been phenomenal, which was Bobby Jones. He must have been unbelievable. He could do tricks with those clubs that you wouldn't even put in the fireplace today. They were all wooden shafted, the grips were big, tremendous amount of torque in the shaft. And Mr. Jones was unbelievable, won 13 majors. I mean, he, he was unbelievable, and an amateur. A rich amateur, but anyway. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, he was unbelievable. But in modern day, the best ball striker of all was from Virginia. Sam Snead. There's no question. I watched them all. I played with all of them. I played with Mr. Hogan, which was phenomenal. Mr. Hogan was like me. He moved more dirt than everybody else. When you move that much dirt, you've got to be good. You understand? You, 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 you'll get to where you're pretty good. Sam Snead liked to fish, hunt, do everything. He was an Olympian. He could run the hunter. He could run 100 meters in 10 seconds. I mean, he was, he was a big man. Yeah, he was the best. No question. Yes, what was your favorite course in Texas? My favorite one? Uh-huh. Champion. Yeah, I love Champion. Champions is a hell of a golf course. Very good. I never played the Jackrabbit. I've only played the... Now I probably won't be able to play the big one because my handicap's too big. You know, <laughs> you know he won't let you play if you're over a seven handicap there. And I'm an eight. Anybody want to play? <laughs> <laughs> Lee Trevino provided a tremendous start to the Lone Star Luncheons at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Attendees enjoyed a great meal while Trevino spun yarns to create an afternoon that will be long remembered by those who were there. Stay posted 
on who will be the special guest at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame's next Lone Star Luncheon, as well as how to get tickets by visiting the Texas Sports Hall of Fame's official website, tshof.org. That's tshof.org. There, you can sign up for the Texas Sports Hall of Fame's newsletter to keep up to date on all of the great things happening at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You can also follow the Texas Sports Hall of Fame on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco, and when you do, book your stay at Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast.